Imagine, like, what if Bluffton became a different place because the church started to live out what she was called to live out? What if she was reminded of who she was supposed to be and we started to live that out? What if we, as God's people here in Bluffton, what if we recaptured our hearts for Jesus and we focused on Him and then we lived out what God is calling us to live out? My friends, the unstoppable church that Jesus is building is built by bringing individuals together so that they would become something new together. That's what we are called to be, to be unstoppable. What's up, church? Aaron's got some talent, right? (laughs) That was just all, you know, like dramatized, okay? He didn't actually sleep there, just so y'all know, all right? Uh, But hey, my name is Brandon, lead pastor here. Really glad that you're here, especially if you're a first time. Uh, Hope that you are experiencing a church that reminds you of Jesus. That's what we strive to be every single week. Uh, You know, back in late May, we started this series called Unstoppable. Back in late May. It's it's been a while. We've been been jumping into this. And and the idea is for us to look at what, what the church is and what her mission is, because what I've seen, what you've probably experienced, is that in American Christianity, in the American church, that the the, we've lost kind of a robust understanding of what the church actually is. Oftentimes we look at the church as a place we attend, as a thing that we come to as a building, and what we've been learning is that the church is far more than that, that Jesus has a vision for his church, and his church is you and me, the people. It's far more than just a, a gathering that, that happens on a Sunday every week, but this is something far more uh, and, you know, back when last year, when Sarah and I were navigating what, what, where were we were going to, where, where were we were going to go? Like what, where was God calling us to? And we visited FCC, visited Bluffton for the very first time. The search team had a dinner and they asked me to prepare a devotion. And I told you this in the beginning that, uh, the, the passage that I landed on to share with them was this, and this has been the foundation for our, ser- our, our series. This series is Matthew 16, verse 18. It says this, and I also say to you, this is Jesus saying, uh, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. See, oftentimes we don't think of the church as unstoppable, but, but Jesus' vision for the church was that it would be a people that was unstoppable. So in this context, Jesus is asking his disciples, hey, who do people say that I am? People were saying all kinds of things, prophets, Elijah, uh, all kinds of different things. And then he turned the question on them and said, hey, who do you say that I am? And, G- and, and Peter said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the King, the Son of the living God. And, and Jesus responds to him and says, blessed are you, Simon Peter, for this is not something that you just came up with, but this was given to you from your father, from our heavenly father. And, and here's what I want to do with that confession, with that foundation of the apostles and the prophets. This is what I want to do. I want to create a people that would be unstoppable, that not even death or hell would stop it, that the evil one would not stop, but that we would be able to thrive. We would be able to flourish 
as a people. So we've looked at what the church is. We've looked at how we are the kingdom of God. We are a people with a king, and that king's name is Jesus. We've, saw, we've seen how uh, we are the people of God, that God has brought all kinds of different people from different experiences, different ways of life. We look different, we talk different, we act different, and he's brought us all together by the blood of Jesus so that we would be one people, unified, not by the things that we have in common in this life, but because of Jesus. And we've, we've looked at how we are not only the kingdom of God and the people of God, but we are the house of God. We are being put together by Jesus as a dwelling place for God. And we get to enjoy that household by being the family of God, that we have our heavenly father. He is our father. He has adopted us as, our, as children. And we have Jesus as our big brother. That's some pretty cool stuff. It's this beautiful, messy thing called family. And that is what the church is. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at how the church is the body of Christ, how how we have all been gifted in certain ways, that we are all part of this body. We have different parts to play, but we are all called to play our part. And we are going to wrap this series up today. And some of you said, amen. (laughs) Uh, But we're going to be looking at a very important topic, a very important topic in life and in the church. And that is leadership, church leadership 101. I could, I could spend lots of weeks on this topic, but we're going to spend one week on it. What is God's design for leadership inside of the church? That's what we're going to look at. Now, now many of us, we, we know what leadership done well is like. Like when leaders lead well, everyone wins, right? Everything kind of goes where it's supposed to go. Leadership, when it's done well, it makes everyone win. It makes all the difference. Uh, John Maxwell, a, a former pastor and leadership guru, said this, the pessimist complains about the wind. The optimist expects it to change. The leader adjusts the sails. That's what a leader does. A leader looks at what is and says, this is where we're going, and they are a part of us going there. That's what leadership done well is like. But too many of us, right, we've, we've experienced leadership done poorly in all walks of life, in our home, in our workplace, in our schools, in our teams, uh, on the teams that you watch on TV, you know, just fire that coach, right? You've seen leadership done poorly. Uh, any, any Star Wars fans in here? Or, or at least you've seen the originals. Okay, all right, all right. Uh, and that's what I mean, Star Wars fans. I'm, I like all of the other ones too. Not episodes one and two. Threes, you know, any, anyway. Um, so there's a scene in Star Wars where uh, Darth Vader, he comes into the room. And Darth Vader's the bad guy, okay? Just so everyone is understanding what's happening here. Darth Vader doesn't sound like a friendly guy, right? I mean, just his name, you know, it kind of gives it away. Darth Vader. Uh, he, he walks into the room and the Empire is having this council and they're discussing the, the awesomeness of their Death Star. Now, the Death Star is not a very fun thing if you're the receiving end of what it does, okay? Because it's a Death Star. In, in other words, it, it destroys planets, okay? It's not a thing that you want to just like get in the way of, you know what I'm saying? It wouldn't be good. So they're, they're talking about, oh, this is amazing. This is, we're, the rebellion is done, the Republic is done. We are the empire. We will reign supreme. It's all good. And they're getting a little cocky. And Darth Vader says, hey, uh, I, I get what you guys are doing, this technologically advanced thing. It's pretty cool. But you need not forget 
the ultimate high power in Star Wars universe, which was the Force. And Darth Vader's very devoted to the dark side of the Force. And uh, there's this one guy who who objects to Darth Vader's idea of this ancient religion having any kind of relevance in their day and time. And he says, you know what, Darth Vader, this is, no, man, just keep your little fairy tale, uh, superstitious stuff out of here. We've got what we need. And Darth Vader, because this guy uh, objected to his opinion, he starts to use the force to choke the guy. Choke the guy almost to death. Let me just say, that's leadership done poorly. You know what I'm saying? That's not how you want to lead, okay? Leaders, if someone dis- is, is like uh, disagreeing with you in a meeting, and you're like, this is where we got to go, and some, you know, you always got one, at least, who's like, you know what, that's probably not a good idea. Don't choke them to death, okay? Amen? We can all go home. You've learned your lesson. I'm just kidding. <laughs> But, but, you know, you probably, we all probably have, like, bosses that we've thought of, uh, and they kind of remind us of Darth Vader. You know, maybe they don't force choke people, but they kind of make you feel like that's what's happening to you. Anybody there? Uh, Mike, don't raise your hand, okay? <laughs> uh. <laughs> or I'll force choke you. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding, I wouldn't do that. Force is nothing. Anyway, this is falling off the rails. Um, <laughs> I remember uh, back in Cincinnati at the church I served at, uh, I became good friends with the worship pastor there. Uh, his name's Jay. And I remember he was telling me the story years later about his first staff meeting on staff at the crossing, okay? Uh, so he comes into the staff meeting. He had been used to a leadership culture that was much more like the Darth Vader story than the optimal kind of church situation, okay? So this, this leader would like force choke people in the name of Jesus. Uh, that's kind of what he was used to. And so he comes into the staff meeting. He doesn't know what to expect. You know, he, he kind of has an idea, but uh, he comes in and, and Kenny, the lead pastor, is sharing some kind of big idea and, and he's really excited about it. And then as he's done sharing his idea, this other guy in the room, Brandon, was like, that's not a good idea. You know, I just openly disagreed, strongly disagreed, said this is probably not the way we need to go. I don't even remember what the conversation was about, but Jay told me when I said that, he was like, oh no, what is about to go down? Because this is not what he was used to. See, we had a healthy leadership uh, culture inside of the staff where we could openly kind of like discuss things and work things out together. But he was not used to that. See, many of us, we've, we've become, we've kind of ingrained cultures, uh, whether at our workplace or our home or whatever it is, uh, where, where we kind of have been plagued and stained by bad leadership. And for him, that was just a no, no. You don't, you don't speak your mind against that person. Uh, and, and, you know, nothing really happened out of that conversation. It was just like, okay, we move on to the next thing. You know, Brandon's going to say what Brandon's going to say, you know. Um, and so we just moved on. But that was an eye-opening situation for him. So here's the thing with leadership in the church. I believe God's given us a design in Scripture for leadership in the church. Uh, he, he's shown us what it looks like and what it needs to be about. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn it to Titus chapter 1. Uh, again, you can just hang a right all the way to the right, and you hang a left, and then you'll be there very soon. 
Uh, or you can, you can see the screen and it's going to be there. Titus chapter 1, Paul is speaking to a pastor named Titus. And uh, basically the situation is he left him in Crete, a place, and there was new churches established there. And so Paul wanted Titus to do some specific things. And it has to do with the design of leadership in the local church. Okay, this is what he says. Verse 5, Titus chapter 1. The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone, and as I directed you, to appoint elders in every town. So every place where there was a local church, I want you to appoint elders. An elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. So uh, any of y'all know kids are crazy a little bit? Kids, y'all know you're crazy, right? You know what I'm saying? Uh, Young people. Okay, here's the thing. This is not talking about just regular kind of rebellion that happens when you're you're two or when you're a teenager, you know, kind of establishing your own independence. That's normal. That's just what happens, right? But this is talking about some crazy, wild, parental, uh, just completely going against them, rebellion, okay? This This is next level stuff. Okay, so that's what he's describing. He's not describing just like kids being kids, young people being young people, you know, rebelling against their parents a little bit to try and establish their independence. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about something much more. Wildness, open rebellion. As an overseer, verse seven, as an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless. He says it again. That's the second time he said it. He must be blameless. There's a a high, high bar. Not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful messages taught so that he will be able to both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. So here we see Paul's design from God for the church. That in every church, in every local body, there is this idea that, that the pastor, whoever's leading that congregation, is to appoint elders who fit this kind of qualification, who fit this kind of description. Okay? So they're, they're to be blameless. This is people who, you, when you look at them, you can see these kinds of things. Or when you look at them, you don't see these kinds of things. What are they? they they're, they're, they're men who have a family that is honoring God. Not perfect. Not, not in any way perfect. But a family who honors God. They're someone who, who is not arrogant. Not hot-tempered. Not an excessive drinker. All these different things. You're not supposed to be. But then then they're supposed to be hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, and doctrinally sound, so holding to the faithful messages taught so that he will be able to both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. So think about this. I used to work at a bank, a couple banks. And uh, when, when we were like working out what was real money and what wasn't, you know, I got to work with cash money, you know, make it rain, that kind of thing. Uh, not the digital, just fake stuff, okay? So uh, what they would do when we were getting trained on how to understand what was real and what wasn't is they did not give us just a bunch of pieces of paper that people might use uh, to, to make some fake money. They gave us real money to work with. 
Why? Because if we knew what was real, we'd be able to spot a fake. If you knew all the little intricacies of what a dollar bill or what a $20 bill is like and what, what they put in place to show you that this is real, then you'd be able to spot the fake. The same is true for someone who's leading in God's church. They need to be someone who is doctrinally and theologically sound, someone who understands the scriptures so much so to the point where when this world is trying to disciple us, which it is, every time you turn on the TV, every time you open your phone, every time you have a conversation with someone around the, the, the water cooler, everyone is trying to disciple you. They may not intend to, but that's what's happening. And so for, for a leader, they need to understand God's word so much that they understand what is real and what isn't. So that not only can they encourage with sound teaching, but they can also refute that which is not sound teaching. And so this is someone, these, these are men that you can look at and you can say, man, they remind me of someone. Who is it? Who do they remind you of? They remind you of Jesus. Now, I want to encourage you, church, uh, when about a year ago, you know, a little over a year ago when Sarah and I were working out what, what our future was going to be and where God was calling us to be and plugging into what family of, of his to plug into and be a part of, um, you know, one of the things that a lot of my mentors told me is, hey, you need to, in this process, you need to be paying attention very closely to the elders of these different congregations. You need to pay attention to them. You need to know whether or not they are going to be foundationally sound on what God is calling this church to be. You need to, to be able to see if they're strong leaders, if they're, if they're founded in scripture. Are, do they have good roots? You need to be able to see that. And, and I can tell you, church, like when, when we came in and we got to know the leaders of this church, I want to encourage you. This is, this is a leadership, and a group of elders who they don't see themselves as having everything figured out. Far from it. But they are hungry to grow. They're hungry to honor God in the way that they lead. And, and because I knew the story of what FCC had been through in the past few years, I could see a group when they, they've gone through the, the storm, they've gone through the battle, and they came out on the other side unified and persevered through that, I could see that this was a group of men that I could partner with, and I know that when we go through storms in the future, they're not going to shrink back from the, from, from the battle. They're going to keep going. They're going to keep moving forward. So they were battle tested. And, and as we've walked together, as we've talked together, as we've grown together, I've seen their growth just continue to shine, to continue to lean into what God wants us to do. We went on an elder retreat and, and just continued to try and grow in what God was calling us to be as God's leaders. And so I just want to encourage you that, that when we think about what these qualifications are, I can see it in our leaders. Now, that's not to give them like permission to be like, oh, you know, it's just fine, we're good, we've arrived. No, that's, that's the point. We always are trying to grow. We are always trying to take a step forward in how we are living our lives. And you can notice that when Paul's talking about these qualifications for an elder, he's not talking about like those who are the most popular, those who have the most business acumen, those who are the most accomplished, those are the most whatever. They're talking about who they are. You see, God's more concerned about who you are becoming than what you are doing. Because if you become who he wants you to be, you'll do what he's calling you to do. And so that's what he's concerned with, that they are people of character, that they're people of character. And so God's design for leadership in the church, it begins with a group of elders who lead like Jesus. Here's the truth. When church leaders lead like Jesus, the church flourishes. 
When church leaders lead like Jesus, the church flourishes. Think about this when we're looking at this. An elder must be blameless, uh, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money. Does, does that sound like someone like Jesus? Was, was, was Jesus an excessive drinker? Was he arrogant? Was he, was he hot-tempered? Was he a bully? Was he greedy for money? No. Where do you think Paul's getting this from? Where, where do you think God's showing us? He's saying, hey, these are people who need to be like Jesus. But what, what are they supposed to be? Hospitable. I mean, Jesus, he, he was the one who got in trouble by the religious leaders for welcoming people into his presence, into a house that he's in, who were not supposed to be around religious people, right? He was one of the, the hospitable one who would say to, to anyone who was broken and defeated, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, I will give you rest. That's what Jesus was about. So they're, they're to be hospitable, not just to have people in your home, that's part of it, but to be hospitable in your relationships, in your conversations with people. To love what is good, you think Jesus loved what is good? Absolutely. To be sensible, to be righteous, to be holy, that's Jesus. To be self-controlled, that's Jesus. Jesus is the bar, Jesus is the mark, Jesus is the aim for all of us, especially those who are given the mantle and the responsibility and the opportunity to lead. In his church. So God establishes, told Titus, hey, we've got these new churches. We don't have any leaders in it. We've got you, but you need to have people around you. So we're, I want you to appoint elders who fit this mold. So what do elders do? A little bit more on that. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Paul's having a conversation with the uh, elders from Ephesus. It's the same uh, church leaders and church that we get when we read the letter to the Ephesians, okay? Ephesians, book of Ephesians. Uh, and so he's having this conversation. He spent a lot of time with them. It's a, it's a conversation that's filled with emotion because he's saying goodbye to them. He's saying, I'm not gonna see you again because I'm going to Jerusalem and I don't know what's happening, but, but I just know that I'm probably not gonna see you again. So this, this, this group of men, they, they had loved each other, they had cared for each other, they adored each other, and they're having this conversation. And then Paul does what Paul always seems to do, and he calls them to be reminded of what their calling is and what they're called to do in that calling. And he says this in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, he says this, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So I don't know if we have any shepherds, like legit shepherds in the room. Like you got some sheep and you, you, you know, guide them throughout the pasture and stuff. Nobody? Okay. So I want to give you a little bit of understanding, basic understanding of what a shepherd is supposed to do. They're to do two things, to protect the flock and to guide the flock. Because sheep need to be guided to where they can eat, to where they can drink, to where they can flourish. They need to be protected from, from uh, things out there coming in and defeating them destroying them, eating them, you know, that kind of thing. And so that's what a shepherd is to do. They live among the sheep, live among the flock, and they're to protect and to guide. That's what an elder team is supposed to do inside of God's church, to protect and to guide. You see, we are really big about the Bible around here, and so we want our leadership structure to be informed by the Bible. So we begin there. We begin with elders and then we move on to Ephesians chapter four where we can see another element of God's design for leadership in the church. Ephesians chapter four. This is what Paul says to this church. Verse 11, he says this. And he himself gave some to be apostles, 
some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, but human cun- by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. It sounds familiar, right? What we've been talking about the last two weeks, the body of Christ. We could go there, but we're not gonna go there. We're gonna go to the beginning of this and kind of focus. Ephesians chapter four, verse 11, it says, and he himself gave some to be apostles. So at the time of this writing, the apostles were still around. An apostle was strictly defined as someone who had witnessed the risen Christ, okay? So these were people who had the message of Jesus from being eyewitnesses. That was one of the prerequisites to be an apostle. And so I don't know about you, but, but there's been some time between then and now, okay? I'm not that old. You are not either. To be someone who witnessed the risen Christ in that moment. So what do we do with this? Some to be apostles. Well, here's the reality. I think what, what we see in Scripture saying is that the office of apostleship is, is not no longer here. But there are people who have gifts of apostleship. And here's where, if you did the spiritual gifts assessment stuff, some of this may make some sense, but uh, according to one spiritual gift assessment, I have the spiritual gift of apostleship. And here's where, what that means. So we look at what the apostles did, and we extrapolate that out to people who have that same gift, people who preach the word of God, who establish new ministries, who establish new churches. That's just kind of how I'm bent. I'm just kind of bent to be a messenger and to start new things. I love doing that. And I love to put together a plan on how that new thing can become a long-term thing, not just some kind of thing that exists for a time and then goes away. Amen? Okay, so that's, that's an apostle. Uh, some to be apostles. Then he says some to be prophets. Now, plainly speaking, a prophet is someone who simply speaks the words of God. In the Old Testament, thus saith the Lord. God said this to me, I'm saying it to you. Now we have the word of God. So a prophet is simply someone who has giftedness to be able to take what God's word says, to apply it to a particular situation, to a particular people who are dealing with some kind of particular thing and apply God's word to it. That's what a prophet does. These are, these are people who minister the word of God to the church. He gave some to be evangelists. Now we're all called to be evangelists. We're all called to be uh, people who evangelize, to tell people about our faith, right? Because we want people to know Jesus. But there are some people who are supernaturally gifted to be evangelists, to to be able to to give the, the good news of the gospel that Jesus died and he rose again so that you would have your sins be forgiven, so that you would go from death to life. They have a way. You probably know some people like this. They have a way of connecting the gospel to people in a way that's powerful, He gave some to be evangelists, some to be pastors. This hearkening back to this idea of a shepherd, someone who leads, someone who guides, someone who cares for the flock. And he gave some to be teachers, someone who can open up the word of God and teach it in a way where where people who may not have understood that prior to, they understand it now. And so what you see here is that these are all ministers of the word of God. That's the commonality here. It all comes back to to doing something with the word of God to the people. Why? For what? 
And this is where I would say that we get our, our staff, pastors from. This is where, why we have them. Because we see in scripture that there are particular people who are called to be ministers of the word of God. Why? And here's where this kind of gets a little bit um, dicey for some churches. Verse 12, this is what it says. Why do we do all that? Why? To equip the saints, equipping the saints for the work of ministry and to build up the body of Christ. I think two, uh, two things church leaders do. Church leaders do two things. What do they do? They equip the saints for the work of ministry and they build up the body of Christ. See, in too many churches, oftentimes what the staff is looked at is the hired hands who do all the work of ministry. You ever been a part of that? Maybe you believe that. But here's the thing. I'm going to tell our staff, I'm going to tell our leaders, our ministry leaders, who I, I encourage them to, to be about this too, that, that we are called as leaders in the church to equip the saints for works of ministry. Why? Because that's what the Bible tells us to do. That's a part of our job description. That's part of our calling. That's part of what we do. So oftentimes what, what happens in the staff, just to peel back the curtain for you a little bit, you know, we work on other days than Sunday, uh, in case you didn't know that. Um, but what can happen is our focus throughout the week is only on Sunday. That can happen because you know what? Sunday comes like every week. Did y'all notice that? It's just like, we got to have something to say, you know, that kind of thing. Well, what God's word is telling us that there's much more work than just Sunday to Sunday ministry. We are called to be equippers of the saints. And guess who the saints are, y'all? All of us. Look around. You may not look at yourself as a saint, but God does. You're a sinner saved by grace. And guess what that makes you? A saint. You don't have to be Mother Teresa to be a saint, y'all. You can be a saint. You are a saint. That's what God's word says. So what do we are supposed to do as pastors, as leaders? What are we called to do? Above everything else, we are called to utilize the word of God to minister to everyone in the church. Why? So that we would all be equipped to do the work of ministry. We've been talking about this the last couple of weeks, right? And if, maybe you've noticed this over the past year that I've been very much focused on everyone getting plugged in to serve, be in community together, because why? Every part has a part to play because you are all gifted by God if you follow Jesus to be a part of what God's trying to do in this community through his church. Have you noticed that? I don't want you to get comfortable. Why? Because Jesus never let the disciples get comfortable. He's calling us to go and be equipped. And imagine this, imagine this. How much more can be done in God's kingdom, in our church, in our community, if 250, maybe 300 people all tapped into what the Holy Spirit's trying to do in them, and they said, here am I, Lord, send me. I'll do whatever you want. I'll use my gifts for your glory. Amen. How much more can be done if 250 or 300 people did that compared to four? Yes, that's just logical, right? That just makes sense. And that's how God has designed the church to be. So the staff is not the, the hired hands to do all the work, no. Yes, we're gonna be doing the work right alongside of you, but our goal is to equip you so that you can do the works of ministry, so that you can be a blessing to people, so that you can use your gifts to build up the body of Christ. And what happens when the church is built up? What happens when the church reaches this point? Well, we will grow both deep and wide. We will reach maturity in the faith. What does it say in that following verse? Ephesians chapter four, verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith 
and in the knowledge of Son of, God, of God's Son, growing into, what's that word, church? Growing into, and we'll do it again, growing into, there you go, with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Does it sound like we've got some work to do? Does it sound like our job is done? Until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son? You got some more things to learn? Yes? Amen. So we've got some more work to be done. So we'll grow into maturity. We won't be tossed by the winds and the waves like little children who are being, being espoused to any kind of teaching. They're vulnerable, right? We won't want to be Christians who are vulnerable to any kind of teaching out there in the world. We want to be rooted and established in God's word. And, and, and what will happen is we will be built up. We will grow deep and wide. I don't know about you, but I want our church to grow. Why? Because there are people in our community. 58% of the people in Wells County don't know Jesus. I kind of want to see that number go down. Amen? And when God's people do what God's people are called to do, when God's church is the church, then more people will come to know that their life is found in Jesus Christ and that they can have life for eternity. Amen? That would be amazing. So what, it, what would it look like then for everyone to be equipped? Well, here's the thing. Oftentimes, church leaders fail at that because most churches have 20% of the people doing 80, 100% of the work, amen? You've heard that before. Why? I don't put it on the congregation. I put it on the leaders. Why? Because it's easier for a staff person to do something themselves than it is to equip somebody to do it. Would you say? It takes a little bit more time. And so we will not be that way, church. We will not be that way. You got an idea for a new ministry? Guess what I'm gonna say? You're the great person to lead it. And I'll help, you, I'll help you establish it. Equip the saints for work and ministry, right? That's what we're all called to do. We're all called to play our part. So when church leaders lead like Jesus, the church flourishes. Do you imagine this? Like, think, think about this. In your workplace, right? In your home, in your school, sports teams, band, whatever. Whatever you're in, extracurriculars. Imagine if you just tapped into who Jesus is and you, you let the Holy Spirit craft in you the image of Jesus in your walk of life, in your every way of life, and you started to lead like Jesus. Imagine what kind of impact you would have and what kind of influence you would have on the people around you. You see, Church Leadership 101 is not just for the elders and the pastors and the staff and the ministry leaders. This is for all of us because we all have influence over someone. We all have spheres of influence. And if we lead like Jesus, then we will make a difference. You can tweet that. If we lead like Jesus, we'll make a difference. Why? Because that's what Jesus does. We take on the posture of a servant. Jesus, before he was about to get arrested, what did he do? He took on the place of complete servanthood, the lowest place. And what did he do for the disciples in the upper room before they had a meal? He washed their feet. And y'all, this is not just like, you know, we went outside with some shoes on and they kind of stink a little bit. No. Uh, this is like I wear wooden sandals, I'm walking on the road where donkeys and horses walk, and I don't know about y'all, they don't use toilets. So guess what's on the ground? Guess what you might step in? They didn't have paved roads, so it's gonna be nasty. So the lowest servant would always do that. But what did Jesus do? He got down, and he washed their feet. So what does it look like to lead like Jesus? It looks like to serve like Jesus does. So all of us, we can take on that posture of servanthood because many of you are leaders in your workplace, 
your leaders in your, in your school, your leaders in some kind of area. Parents, your leaders in your home. What if we led like Jesus? What if we just tapped into that? I think there would be some beautiful things happening. Church, I, I believe the future is bright for FCC. Why? Because we have a leadership who is not satisfied with status quo, not satisfied where they are in their walk with God, but they're leaning in and trying to grow. They're trying to grow. And as long as we keep that attitude, as long as we continue to try and lead like Jesus, I believe the church will flourish. But we all have a part to play. And you know me, I'm gonna give you some homework. So three things, your part to play. First, lean in to be equipped. If the foundational uh, thing that a leader is supposed to do in God's church is to equip the saints for works of ministry, then guess what that means for the saints? The saints have to lean in to be equipped for the works of ministry. It's kind of hard to equip someone who doesn't want to be equipped, amen? You can't train someone who's not be willing, willing to be coachable, trainable. And, and so you've, you, many of you, you've taken your spiritual gifts assessments, you've been considering that, and we're reaching out to you. What are those? Uh, or do you feel like you're serving in your area of giftedness? We've been talking about that with you, and some of you, uh, we will be talking to you about that. And what we want to see, what we want to do is to equip you to do the gift, to utilize that for the building up of the body of Christ. So imagine that. We're just trying to do what the Bible tells us to do. But we have to lean in. It has to be a mutual thing. The second thing is to pray for your leaders. If you're in an environment of leadership, you have a role of leadership, you know that the weight that can be there, you know that the, the pressure can be there. The, it's hard. So as... One, asking for many, I'd ask you to pray for us, that God would guide us, that our focus would be on Jesus. Because here's what happens in many churches. We get, a leadership gets distracted on all the other stuff, and we neglect the mission that Jesus has gave us. Jesus said he came to seek and to save those who are lost. That is what we want to be about, church. We want to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that he has commanded of us. Why? Because we want everyone, everywhere, to have Jesus be present with them for all of eternity. That's some good news, y'all. And the third thing is join, join the church as a member. If you've not dove in all in, dove in, dove in, dove. I never know how to use that word in those other ways. If you've not jumped in, all in, with us here and said, this is my family, this is my church, then I'd love to talk to you about that uh, because God will take you to a place you never thought possible because I believe our church is gonna flourish. I believe it's gonna be unstoppable and I believe we're getting there because when church leaders lead like Jesus, the church flourishes, y'all, and that's good news. Let's pray.